You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. We're going to dovetail a conversation we had yesterday about the Packers' place in the NFL today. Why the betting markets feel the way that they do about Green Bay, because the betting markets tend to be smart. They tend to be right about this stuff. Uh, It's why they build castles in the desert, because they're smarter than we are. So we're going to take a look at why that might be and some of the underlying numbers that suggest, you know, Green Bay is in a particular place in the hierarchy heading into 2020. And we are also going to talk about Debo Samuel once again, Brian Peacock from Locked On 49ers. Uh, I asked him to provide some of his insight because you got my insight. Um, That comes from my perspective as an outsider. So for an injury that is potentially so impactful in the NFC, something that is so consequential in the outcome of the conference, I thought it would be best to get the perspective of someone who actually covers that team, who is there every day and knows the ins and outs better than I do, to give his perspective on what this means for the team. So Brian is here to do that today, and we're going to close with a, a another piece of our conversation about Aaron Jones and Dalvin Cook, the running back situation, and everything going on there. Let's start, though, with this conversation, a continued conversation, about the Packers' place in the NFL hierarchy. And we talked yesterday about Doug Farrar. He had the Packers seventh in his power rankings. And I got a lot of pushback from Packer fans. Why aren't they higher? I, I sent the the tweet out. Who is the fifth best team in the league? And I said, okay, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Saints, the 49ers, that's the top four. Who's fifth? Is it Dallas? Is it Seattle? Is it Green Bay? Is it Philadelphia? Is it Buffalo? And I got a lot of fans saying, oh, well, why are the Saints in there? They have choked the last few years. Why is X team in there? Why isn't Y team in there? And I thought, okay, let's let's take the information that we have and try and parse what's going on here. So you can't always take what happened last year and say, well, the same things are going to happen in 2020. In fact, almost never is it the case that the league looks the exact same, and it's rare that it even looks pretty similar. A lot is going to change, but when we look at things like Super Bowl futures, 
it tends to reflect a lot of past performance. And then you add in which team had a big offseason and which team is a public team. Of course, we have to incorporate those kinds of things. So when the Green Bay Packers are not a top four team in the futures odds, I think it's easy to say, well, why not? Because look at what happened last year. They won 13 games. They won their divisional round playoff game against the Seahawks. They lost to the 49ers, who everyone knew was the best team in the NFC. So why are they suddenly behind some of these other teams? Why are they suddenly behind the Cowboys? Why are they suddenly behind the Seahawks? Why are they behind the Eagles, potentially? Why are they on par with the Vikings? Well, there are some reasons for that. And when you look at the Super Bowl futures, that is the case. Bovada, their odds... The Ravens and the Chiefs at 6-1 to one are at the top of the heap. The 49ers at 9-1 to one are next. The Saints 10-1. to one. You've got the Cowboys at 15-1. to one. The Seahawks 20-1. to one. The Packers, Titans, and Bills are all at 22-1. to one. And the Patriots are at 25-1. to one. The Buccaneers, the one team that I think is the outlier from last year to this year, is also at 10 to 1. They are the team consistently being put in that fifth spot. Well, their improvement or perceived improvement is based on the addition of Tom Brady, the addition of Rob Gronkowski, and I've said before, I don't think it makes sense. The Bucks last year were 14th in defense adjusted value over average, the football outsider metric that adjusts a team's quality for its schedule. And based on things like point differential, their Pythagorean win expectations, so the number of games you'd expect a team to win given the amount that they, on average, outscored their opponents, they were an 8.2 win team, an 8 win team. How much better in the year of our Lord 2020 does Tom Brady make the Buccaneers relative to Jameis Winston. And that may seem like a weird question, but Tom Brady was not great last year, and his fit in Tampa is more than a little wonky. So why is he ahead of some of these other teams that were playoff teams last year? And I say he because it does seem like Brady is the driving factor. It's not like they improved in all of these other important ways. It's not like the offensive line is significantly better. It's not like their their secondary is suddenly solidified in ways that it wasn't last year. And it's not like their pass rush is any less reliant on Shaq Barrett to make plays. So let's just remove them for the moment. When you look at last year and the teams that I just named, that was the top 10 in terms of DVOA. The Ravens, Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, 49ers, Cowboys which I know seems weird, Vikings, Seahawks, Titans, Packers. The only non-playoff team was the Cowboys. The Cowboys last year were the most classic example of a paper tiger that we could have. Sixth in DVOA, an 11-win team by Pythagorean expectation. An 11-win team. And yet, they miss the playoffs. They miss the playoffs. Now you add Mike McCarthy, does that get them back? I think that's a reasonable question. The defense is going to be worse. Byron Jones is gone. They, they lose Robert Quinn, so that pass rush is not going to be nearly as good. I think there are a lot of reasons to wonder about Dallas, and they look a lot like a lot of the Packers teams in the Mike McCarthy era where they're all offense, no defense, and they're going to have to sort that all out. 
But this idea that Green Bay is just this walk-up, definite fifth or sixth best team in the league, it is not borne out by what happened last year. You have to have some faith in their ability to grow. You have to have some faith in their ability in year two to improve. And you have to believe, as I do, that, yes, they were a 10-win team by Pythagorean expectation. But part of the reason that that happened is because you go back and you look at a bunch of games where they had leads. In the second half, they took their foot off the gas. These are games that they were in control of, double-digit leads, and they let their opponent get back into the game. And, and sure, that speaks to you know, a, a killer instinct, I suppose. It speaks to a mentality. It speaks to a talent level. The teams who are really good when they're up 10, they're up 20. Not they go up 10, and now it's, it's still 10 late in the fourth quarter, and now all of a sudden it's three. That, the good teams find ways to put their opponents away, and Green Bay did not consistently do that. But so you look at this and you say, okay, the Vikings were actually a better team than Green Bay last year, despite the fact that the Packers beat them twice. Part of that is matchups. Part of that is small sample size, et cetera. We look at the Seahawks, eighth in DVOA, but a Pythagorean win expectation, 8.2. We've talked about it on this show a bunch. They won a bunch of close games. They won a million close games. So why you lose Jadavion Clowney, your offensive line, is not really any better. Your secondary still has questions. So why are they 20 to 1 when the Packers are 22 to 1 and the Packers beat them in a playoff game that really they controlled start to finish? In a season where Green Bay was better than them by record. You can say okay, the underlying metrics, but the Packers win the Pythagorean win expectation underlying metric if we're going to get specific. Green Bay really should be ahead of Seattle. Now, should they be ahead of the Cowboys? Should they be ahead of the Vikings? The Vikings need to come down because the talent level that they lost is significant. And I have said that the Ravens, Chiefs, Saints, and 49ers are the, are the four best teams. The Patriots are going to come way down because I don't think Jarrett Stidham is it. So after that, I think it's fair to lump a bunch of these teams in. I don't understand the Cowboys' love. They, they don't play defense. They're in a division with another potential playoff team and some teams with some talent. The Giants have some guys. Saquon Barkley is a real player. Evan Ingram is a real player. They're going to be able to score points, and those games are going to be closer than they probably should be. And so I don't understand why the Cowboys are closer to the Saints, for example, than the Seahawks or the Packers in terms of their odds. That doesn't make sense to me. But listen, I understand that also Dallas is the most public team that can be public possible ever. So you have to you have to hedge your bets on that one a little bit. The Packers are not based on a lot of the numbers that are used in places like Vegas to set these lines as impressive a team as their record indicated last year. In fact, Aaron Schatz, who runs Football Outsiders, said that by DVOA, the Packers, as a 13-3 team in the last 25 years, only the Colts had a worse DVOA than Green Bay. Green Bay won 13 games. They were 10th in DVOA in 2019. The Colts were 17th in 99. They were a below-average team and yet still somehow won 13 games. But so if you're wondering why the Packers aren't getting the respect that they deserve, it's because some of the underlying numbers are not what you would expect from a team that won as many games as Green Bay did. 
as we have said on this show many times, there are still reasons for optimism. There are still reasons to, to believe that they can be something that they were not last year. And, and internal development is, is certainly one of those reasons. The Packers did not make the splashy additions in the offseason. But they're also not reliant on those additions to be a major factor on their team this year. And, and that has value as well. I don't think it has the value that maybe it should when it comes to the lines that are being set in Vegas. That makes them, if you're a Packer fan especially, a good bet because you're getting value. And if you want value when you're buying a car, and you should, you always should try and get the best value that you can possibly get. RockAuto.com is the place for you. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure the pointless and seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand that his warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, and they're not going to mess with you on price. A lot of places that sell car parts have one price for professional mechanics and one price for do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com has universally low prices for everyone and doesn't require a membership or account login. Right now, go to RockAuto.com and see all the parts for your car or truck and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Today's episode is also brought to you by the U.S. Army. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462769. So last week we talked about this Debo Samuel injury and the broken foot and how it could potentially impact the 49ers, how could it, it could potentially impact the race in the NFC. And as I said at the top of the show, this is all my perspective as an outsider. I am, am not someone who is watching them every week, who's following what's going on in 49ers Twitter, who has you know deep uh, insight on Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch. I, I, I know what I know. <laughs> and... You know, I follow the league closely, obviously. It's my job. And my knowledge only goes so far on the 49ers. My expertise is on Green Bay because that's the team that I cover. It's the team that I study. It's the team that I'm intimately familiar with because it's my job, right? So I thought, okay, let's get Brian Peacock in here, the host of Locked On 49ers, who most of you have heard on this show before, and get his thoughts on how this injury potentially impacts the 49ers in the short and long term. So here's Brian. Jimmy Garoppolo has migrated to Nashville and is working out with a large group, an ever-growing group of receivers. Uh, just about all the receivers and, and weapons that Jimmy Garoppolo could throw to this season, most of them are in Nashville now working out with him. One of those players working out in Nashville, Debo Samuel, hurt himself, had surgery, prognosis, Jones fracture, depending on who you listen to, 10 to 12, maybe 12 to 16 week 
recovery time. And if it is the long side of that, 16 weeks, that would mean around October 1st, Debo's ready to go. He would have to start practicing that week to be ready to play week four. So missing the first three weeks of the season, playing week four against the Philadelphia Eagles. If you are trying to adjust your your, uh, fan meter and when to expect Debo Samuel to be back, I would say start hoping that he's back by week four, because if you start hoping he's going to be back earlier than that, you might be disappointed, even though if things go well, he could be back in time for week one. Debo Samuel himself going to social media saying that he will be back in 10 weeks. It's not a big deal. Don't worry. He'll be back even stronger than ever. And that's the message you would expect to hear from a world-class athlete and a competitive guy like Debo Samuel, 10 weeks, that'd be nice. That would give him a, he would lose his preseason and training camp, which is not ideal, but not the end of the world if he's able to have a a week or two to practice and get ready for that September 13th opener against the Arizona Cardinals. So 10 weeks would be really nice if Debo Samuel was back. And then really the 49ers will not have had to do anything roster-wise, bringing in another veteran player. We'll get into who maybe some of those veterans could be if the 49ers decided they needed to make a move. But a Jones fracture is really unpredictable. And just looking at the 49ers roster, we've seen a number of different outcomes. I was reading a Matt Barrows article that just was posted about that very injury and some former 49ers that had this injury, one being Michael Crabtree. And there's so many comparisons to this offseason to the lockout year in 2011. And I don't think it was a Jones fracture, but Michael Crabtree did break his foot that year. And he was able to come back in, and he heard it while he was working out privately away from the team when the team wasn't able to get together during the lockout before that 2011 year, the first John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh year. And Crabtree came back and led the 49ers in receiving that year. So it, it turned out okay for Crabtree and the 49ers in 2011. In 2014, rookie safety Jimmy Ward. His injury problems have been well-documented. He had a Jones fracture, very similar fracture in his foot. This was before the draft, I believe, when he had the injury. Niners drafted him at the end of round one. He was ready to play as a rookie, but then he re-injured that same foot, had to have another surgery on it, and ended up losing the rest of his rookie season. And then you just have to go back to last year, 2019, the same position, wide receiver Trent Taylor had a Jones fracture in his fracture in his foot. It was supposed to be, you know, a 10-week injury. And he ended up having five surgeries, missing the entire season. And we'll see where Trent Taylor is now coming into the 2020 season. But there's a number of different outcomes with this surgery. Everybody heals differently. There can be some, you know, problems with surgery, and maybe it doesn't take, and the screw that gets inserted in your foot and this sort of a an injury into the metatarsal. I don't. I can't remember which metatarsal it is that gets injured for a Jones fracture. Uh, but yeah, a, a number of different outcomes. So you hope for, I, I think if you're a 49ers fan, the smart thing to do, hope for week four, Philadelphia Eagles. It's a big primetime matchup in week four. Hope Debo Samuel is back in time for October. I think the 49ers can band-aid some things for a few weeks. And, and if that means Debo Samuel doesn't get hurt any further and he's, on the field for the rest of the season, the Niners will be in good shape. And who knows, maybe he'll even come back earlier and not miss a single game. And actually, look at this timing. Debo Samuel on Instagram Live says that his surgery is done and it went perfect. Let's hope so for the 49ers' sake that Debo Samuel is back and on the field in time 
for week one. Before we finish up, I want to tell you about our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bar is tasty, not just tasty, chocolate tasty, chocolatey. What is better than chocolatey? They are not the kind of health food that you're used to. It's great for the health conscious person who's trying to lose or maintain weight because it's low sugar, high protein, high fiber, but covered in 100% chocolate. It's soft. It's easy to chew. We're talking about low net carbs, high fiber. That is the deal. That's what you want from these foods. You could grab a Snickers bar, sure, but why not grab something that's so much better for you? Right now, go to BuiltBar.com. They're having a huge sale. Check out all of the inventory that they have there and get the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bobbles Galore. Bobbles Galore is the leading bobblehead retailer in the country. They have a vast inventory of bobbleheads from all major sports, including the Packers, the Brewers, and the Bucks, because they are officially licensed by the NBA, MLB, and NFL right now in limited quantities. They have a triple MVP Wisconsin puzzle bobblehead that showcases Giannis, Aaron Rodgers, and Christian Yelich. And for Bucks fans, they have their special Greek flag Giannis bobblehead. Each are included with an augmented reality experience via the Bobbles Galore unique AR Bobbles app. They also have a super friendly chat feature on their website. They're always there to answer your questions. They also make custom bobbleheads for any occasion or event. Go to bobblesgalore.com and use the promo code locked on to get free shipping. As this Dalvin Cook saga is playing out with the Vikings, you know, now it seems like he is willing to come to the table. He's willing to try and get a plan in place, a contract before the start of the season. My thought was, you know, if you're the Packers or you're a Packers fan, what you want is for the Vikings to overcommit resources to Dalvin Cook. The problem is if they overcommit resources to Dalvin Cook, that potentially raises the cost for Aaron Jones. And so I put that out there and a lot of fans were like, well, Aaron Jones is gone. If A.J. Dillon is good, especially Aaron Jones is he's out the door. Well, I don't know if that is true, and and one of the reasons is it has to be the case that if you're going to leave a situation, you have to be going somewhere that you think is better. And from uh, a running back perspective, you know, Mike Clay wrote about this for ESPN yesterday. The Packers, from a running back perspective, they're one of the top teams in usage and in receiving. Matt LaFleur is someone who wants to get the receivers involved in the run game, and that's something that every receiver wants to do because it increases their potential value. It's why you've seen Jamal Adams spend so much time in this offseason working on his route running because it's added value. And that's what you're trying to do if you're any player. You want to have that added value. But so my question is, you know, there are a lot of these fans, oh, Aaron Jones is gone. He's going to want too much money. Well, what is the dollar number? And this is a question that, that we haven't heard good answers from. What is the dollar number that makes it make sense? Because there are only a handful of players making that top of market money. The Panthers just paid Christian McCaffrey. He's getting $16 million. The Cowboys paid Ezekiel Elliott. They're, they're giving him $15 million. That's a contract they probably wish they could give back right now. Le'Veon Bell, the Jets almost assuredly wish they could have that contract back. The Cardinals disliked the David Johnson deal so much 
that they traded him and were able to, to add value. But then, you know, Derrick Henry, $10 million. That's the franchise tag. Kenyon Drake, $8.4. That's the transition tag. After that, where are the high-paid running backs? Drake got the transition tag. Henry got the franchise tag. So you have four players at the top of the market, two teams relatively happy with their contracts, two teams not. So if Aaron Jones hits the market, where are the teams who are going to be lining up to pay him, especially in an offseason when Le'Veon Bell could be available, Derrick Henry could be available, Kenyon Drake could be available. There are a lot of really good Leonard Fournette could be available. Todd Gurley could be available. Todd Gurley went on the open market. He's getting 5.5 average value this year. Melvin Gordon is getting eight from the Broncos. He was getting a $54 million contract in in Los Angeles with the Chargers. And they decided "Mm, the money doesn't really make sense. We'd rather pay Austin Eckler six. Well, Aaron Jones is worth more than six. I mean, we don't have to get so crazy about running backs that they're not worth $6 million. I mean, Randall Cobb a few years ago when he was the number two receiver in Green Bay got $10 million. We don't have to get to 10 to have a discussion about the value of any running back. But at eight, you know, you have two years, 16, three years, 24. Suddenly now we're, we're having a conversation that is worth having. Less than the franchise tag. Okay, 10.2 is too much. The transition tag is eight, 8.4. It'll be a little higher next year. Maybe. But now we have to bring in these extenuating circumstances, the coronavirus. What if the cap goes down? What if suddenly there's not a lot of money to be spent in 2021? What if teams around the league are strapped for cash and you play a position that has already been devalued even if you are a proven good player? Derrick Henry couldn't get a long-term deal. Drake, who had a really good season, couldn't get a long-term deal. Melvin Gordon couldn't get a long-term deal. Todd Gurley gets cut. And the best he can do is five and a half million on the open market. So where are the teams who are going to open up the checkbook to give any running back a big time contract? The teams who are going to do it are most likely to be the teams that already have those players on their team. Christian McCaffrey was a re-sign. Ezekiel Elliott was a re-sign. David Johnson, before he was traded, that was a re-sign. Derrick Henry is a tag. Kenyon Drake is a tag. That's five of the six highest paid running backs in the sport. If Aaron Jones wants to do an $8 million contract, that's worth it for a player as versatile and dynamic as he is. We can't be under the illusion that, oh, running backs, because they're replaceable, have no value. No, no, no. Really good running backs are really good. It's good to have really good players. You can just usually find players who can replace 80%, 85% of that productivity for a fraction of the cost. That's what A.J. Dillon is. So A.J. Dillon, in a way, is your backstop here because he's getting paid a fraction. He's getting paid you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to play this year. And if you add Aaron Jones' contract next year, well, to the running back position, you don't have a considerable amount of resources committed. Now, what happens if the cap shrinks? Now you have fewer teams trying to spend money on a position that has already been devalued. So what is his open market value? Because you're only able to command what the market says that you are able to command. 
So if he hits the open market, who's paying Aaron Jones? Now there are probably going to be teams that are that are open to his services. He is a good young player, but he has injury histories just like Melvin Gordon. He has limitations because of his size. Aaron Jones is a great player. I love Aaron Jones. He's so fun to watch. He's a great player on this team in Green Bay. Values him. They'd like to get a contract done. He has to be willing to do it at a number that makes sense. 10, 12, 14. Those numbers are off the table. I mean, the number at its absolute top is 10. At its absolute top. And that's probably on a short-term deal. Can Green Bay afford that? And is Aaron Jones looking to do a shorter-term deal so that you know maybe in 2022, when the cap could spike with a new media deal, he can cash in again? Or is it the other way where, okay, he's a running back, so he would rather say, here's a four-year deal at a little bit less than what the market says he should be worth. Maybe he takes four years, eight a year. Four years, 32. Four years, 35. Understanding that, okay, the market is going to jump potentially because the cap is going to jump in a couple years, but I'm getting something closer to top of market in year one and year two before that deal is renegotiated, especially in a year where revenues could be down. If you're Aaron Jones, there's wisdom in doing it that way. And certainly for the Packers, there's wisdom in doing it that way for them too because because in two years, three years, now they have a value, a tremendous value at the position, and this is probably the last contract he's going to get, especially if it's a four-year deal. He's not going to get a contract beyond that. So Green Bay is extracting the maximum value for the player. The player is extracting what is probably the maximum value for his contract. That is the ideal situation for any player and team in a situation like that. So to circle this back to the, the original hook here, Dalvin Cook's contract is going to have trickle-down effects. Is Aaron Jones going to demand what Cook gets. Is that going to be the floor? Or is he going to be content to say, look, I want to play for the Packers. I want to play for this contending team that took me in the fifth round, that believed in me, this coach that wants to use me in all these fun ways and believes that I can do everything. Does it make more sense to try and stay in that scenario or go somewhere else and hope I have a coach who treats me the same way? It's it's a question worth asking, and it's the question that Aaron Jones is going to have to answer as he goes about his free agent plans. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. And a lot more to get to. Uh, I have uh, what I think is an interesting discussion on deck for tomorrow, but would love to get to some of your questions our last show of the week. So send me your questions. I appreciate those of you who have offered feedback over the last few days about some of the shows that, that we've done. So please keep doing that. Send me feedback if you like a show. If you don't like a show, tell me. Um, because that's the only way that I'll know if you don't like or do like a show and, and we can do more or less of those kinds of shows in the future. That is how this relationship theoretically works. So you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. I, I get DMs all the time from you guys. I love having those conversations. I try and answer as many of them as I can. So feel free to reach out and ask me questions there. Follow me on, on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast at Locked on Packers. Remember to subscribe. It it helps our numbers, but it also helps other people see us because they go onto iTunes and if more people are subscribed, they're more likely to see our podcast and be a part of Locked On Packers Nation. We are, after all, the number one Packers podcast for a reason. And that reason is you guys. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920 341 
3775 to stay locked on Packers.